Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. Got a special bonus episode for you today because earlier today, the 2023 Emmy nominations were announced. These are going to be for the 75th. Primetime Emmy Awards, which theoretically are going to happen in September of 2023. We'll see, though. Joining me for this conversation, he is one of the best writers, one of the most thoughtful, analytical writers about television on the internet. The co-founder, or not co-founder, the founder and editor-in-chief of episodicmedium.substack.com, one of my favorite TV newsletters, Miles McNutt. Welcome back to Decoding TV. How are you doing, Miles? Dave, I am wonderful. Thank you for having me. Emmy Day is always such an exciting day. It's not always a good day, but it's always an exciting one. And I feel like this year uh, very much lives up to that. Indeed. Indeed. Before we dive into the conversation, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Decoding TV and acknowledge a few things. Okay, so first of all, if you're just tuning in, hello. Uh, Decoding TV covers weekly shows uh, that are releasing each week. Uh, We're... Currently in our Secret Invasion coverage, but uh, I do want to announce today, this is the first time I'm making it public, that we will also be covering Justified City Primeval on a week-by-week basis, and we have a preview episode coming up, so be sure to tune in at podcast.decodingtv.com. Also, uh, we're broadcasting this live right now at youtube.com slash decodingtv, so be sure to subscribe to us on Decoding TV uh, on YouTube, and you'll get notified whenever we go live. And finally, I want to call out DecodingTV.com, where we uh, have paid subscribers support everything that we're doing on Decoding TV. Really appreciate it. Uh, become a paid subscriber and get ad-free episodes as well as early access episodes. That's at DecodingTV.com. So, Miles, uh, and also email us at DecodingTV at gmail.com. Miles, um, it's an awkward time to be talking about Emmys right now. It's an awkward time. Uh, there is currently a writer strike happening. And as we are recording this, we are, I believe, hours away from a potential SAG strike uh, that looks increasingly, like, very likely to happen. Uh, and the existence of either of these strikes or both of these strikes is likely to make it so that the Emmy Awards aren't even going to happen this year, right? Like, what, what's your assessment of that and where you think that's heading? I mean, certainly it was interesting watching the announcement because like, it, it hits you where like for the moment you are just like, it's the Emmys, right? Normal announcement, normal things are happening. And like, as soon as the president of the Academy came out, I was like, wait a minute, right? Like he, so what is he yeah. going to say? What is he going to yeah. do? And I believe it's just like, you know, we hope it comes to a swift and equitable resolution for all parties. And I'm just like, this is in the wake of the deadline story that got writers particularly fired up where anonymous executives were talking about, you know, making writers lose their homes, lose their apartments in order to basically just like freeze them out and deal with this. And it's just like when that's the climate you're operating in, it is very strange to sort of have this very much like industry celebrates itself acknowledgement stage uh, for what's happening there. So I do think that that's something that really stood out in terms of how these announcements are happening, certainly if either strike is still operating, they're going to push the Emmys until later in the circumstances. But ultimately, the nominees are going to be the same. Eventually, these nominees will be rewarded in some capacity. We will have winners of the 75th Primetime Emmy Awards. Just when the ceremony happens, it really doesn't do much to change the kind of, you know, the pros, the cons, the weird among this year's nominees. 
Yeah, uh, I think that that all makes sense. Uh, it just is a really unfortunate and kind of discordant situation where uh, we're trying to honor all this amazing work, uh, all the, this amazing art that's been created. And yet at the same time, there is no contract. Writers aren't being paid. Uh, it's looking like actors are not going to be getting the contract that they want either. So uh, there's just this weird kind of like you want to celebrate, but also it feels like a bad time to celebrate because uh, artists are not being paid what they feel they deserve. Uh, and we seem really far away from any kind of deal uh, with the strike. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, if there is a writer strike, like writers write the jokes for these uh, events, actors present at these events to promote studio projects. Um, if an actor's writer strike's happening, there's no, there's not going to be an Emmy Awards. Um, so no. And yeah. just to be clear, like the Tonys went on during the writer's strike based on a very carefully constructed argument. And because the argument was the Tonys needed, like the Broadway community needed the Tonys to exist. It was in their best interest to sustain that industry. And because the Tonys are a lot of performances, right? right Which right. very much relies less on writers and more on the performers to be involved. You could scut out the skits and stuff and make it work. Whereas like the Emmys for better or worse are just bits. Like that's the entirety of the Emmys broadcast. And obviously whoever's paying the broadcast these awards is still going to want a three hour show to sell ads on. And you can't fill a three hour show without writers. Hence it does seem like a sort of intractable situation. Indeed. So awkward. All that said, let's talk about the award nominations themselves. Um, I'll, I think I'll kick us off by, uh, reading New York Times summary because you know they provide a really good overview for the casuals. Miles, um, this is uh, John Coblin's piece at NewYorkTimes.com. Uh, Succession, HBO's operatic saga about a media dynasty and a two-time Best Drama winner, scored 27 Emmy nominations for its farewell season, uh, the biggest haul of any season. That tally helped propel HBO and its accompanying streaming service, Max, to one of its strongest years with 127 nominations, the most of any network. Netflix finished in second place with 103. HBO dominated the best drama category with nods not only for Succession, but for the second season of The White Lotus, as well as for The Last of Us uh, and House of the Dragon, its Game of Thrones prequel. Uh, Ted Lasso got 21 nominations. Uh, the race for best comedy shaping up is a showdown between Ted Lasso, The Bear, and ABC's Abbott Elementary. Uh, so, end quote. So that's kind of like the overview of the biggest stories. Uh, HBO, HBO Max, or Max, uh, the one to watch for HBO, did really, really well. 127 nominations. That's kind of like the top line story. What we're going to do today is we're going to just start by talking about things we liked. Let's talk about things we thought were great. Miles McNutt. Share a thing that you thought was great about these nominations. I'm going to dig a little deeper than the main categories because I think we can address those as we keep moving along because uh, there's some macro level problems we need to address. Um, yeah. One thing I did appreciate is that for the first time in a very long time, uh, CBS's Survivor was nominated for a reality competition program. Uh, this is a category that is inherently stagnant. The Amazing Race won it for like 10 years in a row. And then once they settle into a groove, they're just like, we're just going to keep voting for it. So now RuPaul's Drag Race is the show just kind of keeps going on and winning on a consistent basis. Um, so it's interesting. I don't think the nomination is going to go anywhere, but Survivor has sort of been in this like stalwart state of just kind of persisting in an increasingly kind of, you know, combative broadcast marketplace. 
And I think as much as I have a lot of opinions, uh, which I've expressed in reviewing the show on a regular basis, episodic medium about Survivor and its current state of things, it's still amazing television, has great casting and great dynamics. And I was pleased to see a category that has historically been very stagnant, find space for a show that itself might be old, but um, persists in a really meaningful way. So I was happy to see that particular nomination. Wow. Not, not the thing I would have expected you to open with, but Survivor getting some love is something that Miles McNutt appreciates. Um, I'll start by saying, uh, a, a, a full disclosure, I consider him a friend, but Dan Trachtenberg's Prey received multiple nominations for uh, Best Writing, uh, Best uh, Directing for a Limited or Anthology Series or Movie, Outstanding Television Movie, uh, and a few others as well. And that was just a really nice surprise. Um, I really love that movie. It made it into my top 10 films of 2022. Uh, and I just think what Dan Trachtenberg was able to accomplish, uh, with that movie was really quite extraordinary. So huge, uh, hugely proud of Dan also, um, uh, was a little sad that I, I don't think Amber mid thunder, who is the main star of that movie got nominated. So that's a bummer. Um, but I was so pleased to see Prey get so much love, uh, this year at the Emmy. So that's one thing that I really appreciated. And um, just on that note, just on the note, Dave, I would say that like, that's particularly strange, in a context in which limited series and anthologies and movies have to coexist yeah. in those craft categories in particular, where it's like, even in writing where you saw Prey, Weird Al uh, and Fire Island all get nominated. We've seen almost no TV movies nominated in this category before. Of course, these are not TV movies by the original definition that we once imagined that to be right. These mm -hmm. are films that historically would have appeared on theaters, but now are right. appearing on Hulu and Roku channel, et cetera, instead. So it's kind of a different moment, but it's nice to see those films be able to be acknowledged in those categories even if they're probably still sort of underdogs compared to the sound of very more TV-like limited series structures that we're seeing. So I was surprised to see them there, but I agree. Um, I was very happy to see Prey acknowledged in that one. Yeah, you're, you're right. You bring up a good point, which is that they're competing, uh, a movie like Prey is competing with like miniseries or anthologies. Um, for instance, Outstanding Directing, uh, people who were nominated were uh, filmmakers for Beef, Dahmer and Fleischman is in trouble. So uh, Dan Trachtenberg, as a director, was the only one nominated for a film in that category. Uh, but then there's other categories like Outstanding Television Movie, where that is a TV. Like those are all TV yeah. movies. Fire Island, Hocus Pocus Two. Those are the other category. You know, Weird Al and so on. Um, so yeah, it's weird that some of these categories it's competing with other movies. It's weird that it's competing with anthologies and limited series. Uh, but as you point out, that was this was a movie that. Uh, by all accounts, should have received a theatrical release. Uh, and it didn't for complicated reasons. So anyway, uh, Prey is one thing I'm really happy with. Miles McNutt, hit us up with something else you're happy with in these categories. Um, so it's a little bit bittersweet, uh, given the discourse that emerged after the show's finale regarding the toxic work environment that the nominated individuals created. However, uh, Max is the other two, uh, which concluded its third and final season, uh, was nominated in the Outstanding Writing for a Comedy Series category. This is often a category that will acknowledge shows that really had no chance in other major categories. They're never going to get acting nominations. They were never going to get a series nomination. But the writer's branch is often more willing to acknowledge these types of smaller series and so i was really happy to see it there i hope certainly that 
there is some reflection happening that this does not further like basically like justify the behavior that we apparently saw behind the scenes on that show. There's a Hollywood Reporter story. If people haven't seen it uh, specifically related to the environment they created, sort of extension of the toxic environment of Saturday Night Live, which is where they came from, that they then kind of brought to the rest of the world. Um, but Chris Kelly and Sherry Schneider created a really interesting show with really complex characters that I think really deserved uh, a great deal of attention and acknowledgement. And so to see it get some acknowledgement in that last moment, um, I think is really kind of rewarding. I just hope it isn't also, um, I guess, uh, empowering uh, when it comes to what's been happening behind the scenes. Yeah, I love the show, the other two. Like, it's one of my all-timer favorite shows, very quickly. Uh, I started watching it earlier this year, and I just think it's such a smart uh, commentary on the state of Hollywood and pop culture and pop music. Um, but yes, it's it's sad to hear the stories of um, sort of unfriendly workplace that I personally, David Chen, have heard corroborated from multiple sources. Um, so I would agree with you. It's nice to see acknowledged, and hopefully it doesn't embolden the terrible behavior mm-hmm. that led to the show being made. But uh, the other two was nominated for... Uh, outstanding writing for the episode Carrie and Brooke go to an AIDS play, which is in fact one of the best episodes of that entire series. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's nice. Okay, I want to say uh, I am super happy that Andor got recognized in multiple categories. Um, Andor, one of my favorite shows of the year, it was recognized in the outstanding drama series. It also got nominations for the episode One Way Out. Um, uh, best writing, Bo Willeman, the creator of House of Cards, uh, wrote the episode One Way Out. It also got a Best Directing nomination for Benjamin Karen, uh, who directed Rick's Road, the episode Rick's Road. Uh, Andor, one of the best things of anything that I saw last year in 2022. So super pleased that it got nominated uh, and and was recognized. And you know, like the big you know the big categories are like outstanding yeah. drama series, outstanding comedy series. It got a nomination in one of the big categories, and that's really lovely to see. Uh, all right, Miles, hit us up with something else that you're psyched about. I have psyched is maybe the wrong word. I'm going to go look for a bright side in a situation that otherwise moves through. Um, I have a lot of feelings about the third season of Ted Lasso, um, which I would argue, although on the whole, was a complete and utter mess. But yeah. Um, I do appreciate that Phil Dunster, uh, who played Jamie Tart, who I would argue was in many ways the emotional core of that third season, and who I think whose arc I really kind of really think benefited from some of the story choices that they made, was acknowledged in the supporting actor category. Um, I would say the comedy supporting actor category is one that is fairly balanced compared to some of the others. Um, where you have two Ted Lasso people, two Barry people. It seems like there's some good sort of reflection that all these shows have these great ensembles and that we've kind of picked the best um, among them in that circumstance. And I would argue if you're going to the third season of Ted Lasso, that Brett Goldstein and sort of Phil Dunster were the heart of that show and I think really sort of deserve that acknowledgement. So I appreciated that there's a space in the overall Emmy nominations where the best part of Ted Lasso is kind of isolated and sort of acknowledged, um, even if the overall 21 nomination situation you represented is an example of um, Emmy's inertia at its very worst. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. I'm, I haven't been the hugest Ted Lasso fan, although I have enjoyed reading your writing about it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes. But, no, uh, I, I'm, yeah. I'm glad that my pain. Uh, <laughs> I, if, I mean, I think season three of Ted Lasso was quite polarizing from what I could tell. So, um, but I always love when somebody sticks their neck out there like Miles McNutt, you know, um, 
I, I had a similar experience myself, Miles, writing at my newsletter, decodingeverything.com today about uh, Mission mm. Impossible. I'm, Mission Impossible uh, Dead Reckoning has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I issued a, a rather lukewarm review. It's, it's hard to put yourself out there when like the entire critical community is like, this is great. I always appreciate Miles' boldness in sticking to his guns. Uh, but yeah, uh, and, and despite that, still finding some positivity with the Ted Lasso nomination uh, this year. All right, Miles, let's let's switch it up. Let's do a couple more. Let's do like uh let's do some more rapid fire stuff, you know, in terms of what we're happy with. And then I want to move into what we're not happy with and just some weird stuff that happened. There's some weird things that happened this year, right? So, uh I'll I'll just throw out a couple, right? Um I mean, I'm obviously super happy that Succession got nominated so many times. I'm a huge fan of Succession. And White Lotus was very strong this season as well, in my opinion. I know some people disagree about that. But beyond those, um I like that Barry got nominated a few times. You know, Barry got nominated for uh, Outstanding Comedy Series because it was so hilarious. Um, <laughs> and it also got lead actor as well as uh, Anthony Kerrigan supporting actor um, and also Outstanding Directing. So some really solid uh, pickups for for Barry. Um, I'm also going to throw out Fleischman is in Trouble, which was like, in my opinion, a life-changing thing for me to watch. I really enjoyed that uh, miniseries, and so I was thrilled to see it get uh, a nomination for Outstanding Limited or Anthology Series, as well as Outstanding Directing and Outstanding Writing. So those are a couple of my happy ones. Miles, you want to throw out a couple uh, of things that you're happy with, and then we can maybe move on? I'm trying to think, is there anything else I'm happy about? Um, In general, I would say like things like Succession, Like part of the issue we're sort of coming to is that there, as much as I have some macro level shoes nominations, there's a lot of really good TV. Yeah, a lot of it yeah. was acknowledged in really kind of foundational ways. And I always appreciate seeing something like White Lotus, for example, where it's like, you know, we're going to get to the weird in a second about the nominations for that show uh, yeah. in a variety of ways. But it's like the excess that occurs does pull in people where I'm like, you know what? They were maybe my favorite thing. Like Megan Fahey was probably my favorite thing about that White Lotus season. Um, I thought she did a tremendous job walking a really difficult tightline, like tightrope with a character that could have been seen as too cloying or too stupid, but you always sort of understood her positioning in a really complex way. And I, I really appreciate that the sort of tidal wave of White Lotus nominations was able to pull in people where it's like they get to be Emmy nominees now, right? Like they get to be acknowledged to sort of suggest that they did something worthy of that craft in the abstract. Like when we 20 years down the line where we forget that seven of them were nominated or what nonsense is going on, that they can still sort of acknowledge that I'll take, I'll take that bright side um, in that respect. Um, Same with even the supporting players from beef, is another example where I'm like, I don't know if that entire ensemble was really among the best supporting actors on limited series, movies, or television uh, in last year. But I think they were all very good. I think they all gave good performances. And the fact that they get to be acknowledged for that is a net positive, right? In terms of the grand scheme of things, it's not so much an issue of there being people nominated where it's like, they weren't deserving. They were so terrible. But it's more just the sort of relativity of so much TV being out there and it appearing, I'm going into the worst already now, I can't help it, um, but so clearly appearing that the Academy voters have made absolutely no effort to watch it or pay any attention to it based on the evidence that we've been presented. I completely agree. And there were several actors that came out of nowhere for me, like uh, Ali Wong in Beef. We obviously knew she's a great comedian. I had no idea she could act like that. And her performance in Beef was incredible. Megan Fahey, in my opinion, put in the strongest performance in The White Lotus. 
Uh, and th- th- not an actor that was on my radar at all. Now everyone knows who she is. So it's wonderful to see those people get recognized. The Emmys put in place a change this year that uh, to their rules. Prior to this year, prior to December of this year, uh, what they basically said was you can vote on as many people as you want. And the idea was that that would uh, expand the number of cat- like people that were nominated or shows that were nominated. That was the idea behind it. That did not happen. Uh, because what happens is like if everyone has seen Succession, you know, if like a thousand people have seen Succession and then like 100 have seen Succession and The White Lotus, you know, Everyone's going to write in Succession. And so still, Succession is the one that gets nominated. So there was not much diversity of shows. And this year, it was uh, they changed that so that it's like, hey, we're capping the number of nominations you can put in. And it improved things slightly. Like, it didn't really make things that much better, right? Like, the the show is still dominated by a – or the the awards are still dominated by a relatively small number of categories. Right, Right, Miles? I mean, the supporting actor category is literally just cast members from the White Lotus and Succession. Like in drama series, <laughs> yeah. supporting actor is just actors from Succession and actors from the White Lotus. That's that's it. End of list. <laughs> it is shocking. So outstanding supporting actor in drama series is F. Murray Abraham, Nicholas Braun, Michael Imperioli, Theo James, Matthew McFadden, Alan Ruck. Uh, Will Sharp and Alexander Skarsgård, those are all White Lotus and Succession actors. So no one else in any other show was apparently worthy of Outstanding Supporting Actor. But, um, I mean, Outstanding Supporting Actress is not much better, you know? Uh, There are four uh, actresses nominated for Outstanding Supporting Actress from the White Lotus. Jennifer Coolidge, Megan Fahey, Aubrey Plaza, and Simona Tabasco. So it's like... No, there are five. There's five. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Sabrina Impacchiatore. Yeah, so yes. five. Yeah. Uh, the other nominees being Elizabeth Debicki for The Crown and uh, Ray Seahorn for Better Call Saul, as well as J. Smith Cameron for Succession. So a little more variety there, but still, it, it's overwhelmingly. Little, I don't, yeah. No. And again, it's one of those circumstances where it's kind of like, okay, we get it, right? Succession is going to dominate these awards, right? Like there's some meaningful questions about vote splitting happening in lead actor, given that there are literally three of them which to our understanding is the first time there's ever been three lead actors um, nominated in the same category from the same show, because how can a show have three lead actors? That's a great question. Um, But I do think that there's very clearly this idea that if this is going to be sort of this coronation, this dynamic, it's kind of like, okay, we get that, right? That's what's going to happen. But like, can anybody argue that Nicholas Braun was given enough material in the final season of Succession? Right. To be one of the like nine best. That's not it's not a play on him as a performer in any way whatsoever. Right. It's not suggesting he's a bad actor or that that's the issue. Right. It's just a question of kind of like when we go like a full five deep on some of these shows where it's just like, yeah, the five supporting actors from the White Lotus. Right. When we get down to the fifth position on that show, is there is that person reasonably better than the first position on some other show that Emmy voters did not watch or pay attention to, right? Like, and that's where you start to sort of like go through this game where it's like, we project onto the Emmys this idea 
of an objective voter who is theoretically consumed all of television and places it all relative to each other. Because that is what the awards are suggesting they are. They're suggesting they're honoring best of television. We see the list of submissions. We know we get all the FYC ads when we visit the trades. We know every show that's been in contention. And we understand them all in relation to one another in this grand scheme of things. And so to then look at these nominations... And to see that the voters, or at least the aggregation of that voting pool, has so clearly not done that, like to an extent that has become absurd, you realize that on a very basic level, the only people this Emmy system is working for is HBO Max. Like, that's it. Like, end of list. I would argue that every other, like, network, streaming service, et cetera, has to look at these nominations and think this is not a level playing field. This is not a fight that we can win. It's not just about the sheer number of nominations. It's the sheer sort of like almost like carpet bombing, you know, that they've done in these categories with these huge ensembles. And it's kind of like, how, how does that change, right? Like when White Lotus season three comes out, it's just going to fill those succession spots. Right. Like, I don't think we're going to like see another like HBO is just going to kind of keep colonizing these categories because um, it really just doesn't seem like voters are really committed to extending beyond um, those parameters. And I think that that's uh, is always this is the Emmys are always in crisis. We're always having this conversation. Right. If you go back 10 years, we were talking about are the Emmys out of touch? Are the Emmys reflecting these things, et cetera? Um, but like we're now 10 years out from the streaming revolution we're 10 years out from House of Cards, from Orders of New Black, from the sort of first arrival of these kind of conversations. And it feels now that we're just in this moment of just like, what are the Emmys really acknowledging and what are they sort of doing? And I think there's real argument to be made that they're not serving uh, whatever purpose they originally were intended to. That's fair enough. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. So let's get to snubs, Miles. Thing, you know, some people don't like calling them snubs because they don't think that it's, I, it's what I, it is. You I know? had yeah. a whole conversation. Yeah. I, I played with writing a newsletter, but I was tired. But the thing about it was just like a snub to me, even if you look at it, it says it could be to ignore something. But I would argue that part of the issue is that we use the term snub, implying that voters ever considered these shows in the first place. Right, sure. It suggests that they looked at it and said, and oh, they I'm said not no, going right? to pay attention yeah. to that. Right. Yeah. Whereas I think at this point, it feels pretty comfortable to say that a lot of voters were content basically saying, I watched Succession of the White Lotus. They were great. Ergo, boom, right? That's what I'm going to vote for. Yeah. I'm not going to go through any of the rest of my screeners. I don't yeah. need to do that. I don't need to explore anything else that's happening on television. I think that's an example of sort of, if that's the case, that was maybe the wrong word. But I think we can point to the shows that are getting lost in the system, right? That very clearly don't have 
the oxygen they need, even if in some cases, as I'm sure we'll discuss, these shows had the Emmys attention in a very serious way, not that long ago, and just seem to have lost that conversation for reasons that frankly are kind of difficult to parse. Sure. So uh, all that said, you know, you know, I, if you don't like the word snub, just ignore that component of it. These are things that we think the Emmy unjust, uh, the Emmys unjustly ignored. Miles, hit us up with something that you think was unjustly ignored. I mean, I think it's a really reasonable question to the point I was just making, like thinking about Atlanta, right? And yeah. this is like, this was a huge Emmy show, Donald Glover, right? You know, winning best actor, right? Sort of like making this big pronouncement. It's big in terms of writing. It's big in terms of series. It's big in terms of directing, right? The notion was that this was sort of changing the paradigm of television. Um, and then it went on a very long hiatus. And basically it seems as though the Emmys were just like, well, actually, no, we forgot about that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we actually didn't pay that much attention to that. Mm -hmm. We actually weren't really that invested. And it's kind of like it, there's this I reason I think very reasonable question of just like, okay, if Ted Lasso can put out a season that was demonstrably worse than its previous one, and yet just by inertia, everybody just puts the same people in again. Like Sam Richardson getting nominated for guest actor again in a performance that got demonstrably worse from his already, frankly, overloaded performance in season two. It was just because they did it before. Sarah Niles as Ted Lasso's therapist had nothing to do. Nothing to do in her guest appearances. Made absolutely no meaningful impact. But she was on the ballot, so that's fine. And yet, they look at Donald Glover, they look at Atlanta, and they don't say the same. And so it's like, you ask questions of, did it get too dark? Was it not comedic enough? Like, what was going on in relation to this? And there's no good answer to that. And I think it's just a question of, are there certain types of shows that voters just weren't actually that invested in, but simply felt like they should be. Um, all reasonable questions that I think uh, I'm sure the people at FX are kind of staring at their screens, just kind of trying to grasp what exactly they believe uh, Emmy voters want or need or desire uh, from television, uh, which goes for other FX series as well that were similarly ignored in this context. Yeah. So Atlanta, uh, great choice of something that probably deserved more love. Uh, I will shout out Better Call Saul, which did receive a nomination for Outstanding Drama, did get nominations for both Bob Odenkirk and Ray Seahorn, which is great because Ray Seahorn was incredible and she has often been ignored in previous seasons. So it's like, hey, at least she got the nomination. I'm happy about that. But no nomination for Jonathan Banks. Uh, he has never been nominated for his performance as Mike Erbentrout on either Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul. Uh, and that's a huge bummer. Arguably, Giancarlo Esposito also did great work uh, and should have been nominated as well. So throwing out some Better Call Saul, uh, you know, I think Better Call Saul could have been better uh, acknowledged this season. And and I will say that, like, you look to at the guest acting awards, because obviously yeah. there was a lot of cameos that came up in that final season of Better Call Saul, yeah. connecting it back to Breaking Bad, working through that timeline. And you kind of wondered, well, is it possible, right? These are big names who have very sort of prominent roles um, in that context. And then it was just kind of like, no, the guest acting categories are just succession and <laughs> You know, the last and of like, us. Yeah. and the last of us, L literally, again, literally, literally outstanding guest actor and actresses. It's all the last of us or succession. That's the whole the, yes. all those categories. Yeah. And again, it's one of those cases where I think certainly there are plenty of very much, you know, worthy guest performances on those shows, but they go far deeper than they needed to. 
uh, particularly in the actor category, where it's just like, okay, we get it. Offerman and Bartlett uh, were a very logical choice and a very kind of prominent role. I think that makes perfect sense. Um, but to go then to the following episode and then to like reward that arc with Emmy nominations does not make as much sense when you consider the work being done in other contexts and in different environments. But again, it just goes to this idea that in so many categories, there were literally two shows on TV. And it's very frustrating when you have shows with all this depth and complexity, and then they're not really acknowledged in kind. Yeah. You know, uh, what's interesting is a very minor spoiler, although I guess like if you if you don't want to know anything about what happens in succession this season, then skip forward. But uh, it is fascinating to me that Hayam Abbas, who used to be a regular on success, she was like a above, you know, top credited regular on succession season one, it was submitted as a guest actress. And Brian Cox, somebody with about as much screen time as her this season, is in the best actor category. You know, that doesn't really make any sense. So this is Um, a fun fact about the way these categories work. So the guest actors have very clear rules. And that rule is that you cannot have appeared in more than half or more of an episode in a season. Right. So people talked about Carol Burnett in the final season of Better Call Saul. And she ultimately appeared in too many episodes to compete as a guest actress, was forced to move into supporting actress instead, where she was reasonably probably never going to get nominated in that category. Um, But in the case of the lead actor and supporting actor categories, it's entirely based on the performer themselves. They get to entirely self-define what kind of performance it is. And in this case, if you just have an ego and hubris and believe that you are too important to be a supporting actor, there is nothing in the system other than the notion that the system itself would stop you. Uh, This quite infamously, uh, Rob Lowe, uh, submitted as a lead actor on the West Wing mm, um, in his yeah. early seasons. Brutal. Because he considered himself the lead actor. That is as simple as yeah. it gets. So we now have the sort of like irascible old British man version of that, um, <laughs> which we're not deeply shocked by. Um, and I do think that there's a reasonable question of like, did he doom either of his two co-stars and potentially leave the door open for Bob Odenkirk? This is a reasonable question. Uh, Brian Cox is technically Scottish. I just want to make that clear. Oh, so. okay, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I get yeah. that. That's, so, that's, that's a fair correction. I'll take. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I will say. Let's see. In terms, of, we're, we're talking about like snubs or things that the Emmys kind of ignored. Um, it is a little weird to me that uh, Poker Face got nominated for a couple of acting categories, but Ryan Johnson didn't get any nominations. You know, like he was the mastermind behind the whole thing or one one of the masterminds of the whole thing kind of directed a couple of the episodes and and helped to set the the place for it so uh kind of a bummer there um but yeah and any other stubs before we get to the weird stuff which of which there is a considerable amount uh miles i mean i would say probably the one series that we kind of i think critics are increasingly pointing to uh from the comedy category uh is reservation dogs uh, on FX, uh, I guess FX on Hulu or whatever it is these days, wherever things exist. I don't even know anymore. Um, I think there's no question that like you have a show that kind of like is setting these new benchmarks in terms of representation of Aboriginals and the storytelling that's involved and all these kind of details. And it's sort of like an idea where, look, you've expanded these categories, right? You've extended this idea of these areas. And yet the expansion of categories is just like, oh, we're going to nominate Wednesday. Right. Like we're going to get that in there as one of the best comedies on television. And it's just kind of like 
there's really been like, I think of it in terms of when the Oscars went to 10 nominations, right? The idea was that it could allow films that had kind of grassroots attention attached to them that were kind of able to kind of like work their way into the category that would have never been acknowledged otherwise. Whereas with the Emmys, by comparison, it seems that expanding the categories has only brought in more populist fare, kind of very much just like lots of people saw it or heard about it or saw an ad about it, or it came across their Netflix feed and they just kind of clicked on it. This is how Emily in Paris gets nominated. This is how Cobra Kai gets nominated. It is embarrassing that shows like that are getting nominated for these awards over shows that are objectively more dynamic, more interesting, more compelling, because ultimately awards as they're designed don't really kind of sustain that or kind of engage with it. And yet that's clearly what the voters are engaging with. That is what the voting pool is connecting with and the chances of them ever embracing those kind of grassroots success stories by all accounts appears to be dead, um, leaving us to kind of, you know, be left with shows that just kind of seems like there's no movement. Like it's going to have a third and final season this summer next year at the Emmys. There's no reason to believe that anything, but maybe a farewell writing nomination uh, could potentially be in their future. Um, and that's a bit of a dire for, situation. For which show are you referring to again, Miles? Reservation Dogs. Reservation Dogs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also going to shout out um, just another random one. Sarah Goldberg from Barry. Uh, I think is the extraordinary work on that show was not nominated, right. even though Barry got multiple other nominations. But um, yeah, so okay, those are just a few things that are like, hey, uh, it's sad that those things got ignored. There were a bunch of shocking things that happened, <laughs> um, surprising things, like some of which were nice and some of which were not nice. And I'll, I'll just start with a with an opening. Double barrel for you, Miles. Okay, I'll start with something that was really nice to see and something that was really not nice to see. <laughs> um, nice to see. Jury Duty got nominated, which is awesome. A show on Freebie got nominated. James Marsden, so nominated for Outstanding Comedy Series. James Marsden got nominated for um, Best Actor in a Comedy Series, which is, he did. he was amazing in that show. Everyone should watch Jury Duty. It's free. It's on Freebie. You should watch it. It's hilarious. Um, and by the way, like makes it so that it, 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 I think it got almost as many nominations as Lord of the Rings, um, Rings of Power, uh, which, but it cost, I think approximately 0.0001% as much as that show, if I, if I understand correctly. So math, just, math checks out just something to think about. Um, but, uh, the, the thing that really shocked me, Miles is in the, uh, limited series categories, so, outstanding limited or anthology series. Beef, Dahmer, Daisy Jones and the Six, Fleischman is in trouble. Okay. Dave Chen's reading yep. this. He's like, that's okay. Yeah. All solid. Totally normal. Not necessarily all like things, things I would choose. Yeah. yeah. Not, not things all I would choose, but like yeah, very, yeah. very reasonable choices. Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Obi Wan Kenobi, a show that I don't believe I have heard anyone talk about positively in my life. Um, like in my sphere of in my social circle, uh, let alone like watch it. Uh, this is shocking considering there are other great anthology limited series out there. Uh, Dead Ringers, incredible show that we reviewed on Decoding TV. Um, uh, Swarm, which was also nominated for multiple categories, all, like also a really impressive show. Miles, what is your reaction to Obi Wan Kenobi getting nominated? 
uh, flabbergasted. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing. Here's the thing, though, right? Like, to the point, like, it's not even just that, like, there were other, there were limited series featuring, like, heavily, like, critically acclaimed performers. You have Dead Ringers and Rachel Weisz. You have The English with Emily Blunt. Right, you have the patient with Steve Carell and Donald Gleason. Yeah. You have all of these really high-profile projects, right, with these like significant cast. Um, like Blackbird was not nominated yeah, sure. in that category, despite the leads all being nominated, mm-hmm. right, in their own categories in these circumstances. So it's like, okay, we put all these pieces together, right? How does this make sense? And I think the reality is we have to go back to the fact that the Academy operates on peer groups. Which means for actors, writers, directors, they're nominated by the peer groups involved, meaning that they're the ones focusing on the performances. That's what they're invested in. So in those cases, those nominations match up very much with what SAG did earlier in the year and sort of demonstrate where people are invested and interested. Series categories are voted on by a broader membership, which includes more of the people in the craft categories, production design, special effects, all the way sort of down the line. And I look back to the fact that The Mandalorian was nominated for its first season in what was considered to be a very surprising nomination, given that nothing The Mandalorian was doing was really attempting to win an Emmy. Like, you felt like they really weren't making any reasonable effort to elevate beyond the genre fair it was doing. That's not a criticism. That is in no way a criticism. That show was very fun. It just was not Emmy bait in any reasonable way. And yet it gets into that main category because it felt like it was so dominant in those technical categories mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and that all of yeah. those individuals were sort of voting for it over the more maybe highbrow Emmy fair. And it was sort of able to sneak into the category. Um, but the Mandalorian season one was good. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi was not. And I think it's a matter too of, it was not a complete thesis. It, it was, it was nice to see Una McGregor as a character again. I think certainly there's an element of that built into it. The stuff with Darth Vader, frankly, was fine. Um, but, like, I will say this up front. Like, the writing and direction on that show was not good. Um, there were chase sequences in those first few episodes that were some of the, like, least coherent chase scenes that have ever been put to film in terms of trying to understand why full-grown adults could not catch a small child. Um, they just, there was no sense of space. There was no sense of clarity. Like the mm-hmm. show did not seem well put together in the craft categories, right. nor did it really dominate those categories in a way that suggests it should have been able to make it into this case. So it's like, there is a very serious conversation about like how much the vote must have split between these other shows right. for it to be possible that this could take place. But like, that's a demand of recount situation. That's just like this, yeah. this kind of defies expectation or reason. I agree that society will be dealing with the nomination of Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> for many years to come. So no, no argument there. But Miles McNutt, I'm curious, um, any surprise weird things for you in this? I will Emmys? say one thing, I guess it's, it shouldn't be surprising, but look, Rings of Power deserved to get no major nominations it was not a coherent season of television. It was not really kind of able to function in a way where I'm going to suggest otherwise. But for me personally, the best and most interesting thing about that show was Bear McCreary's original score, mm. which was this very elaborate, detailed sort of like homage and connection to what Howard Shore had done previously that was really sort of building on that in really compelling ways that evolved and grew as the season went on. 
I say this as someone who wrote an academic journal article about Bear McCreary and his social media presence and his ability to sort of like bring people into his process and position himself as a really critical kind of crew member on shows where otherwise the composer might be more anonymous. So I acknowledge that I was more aware of this than an average person. But personally, it seems like a particular injustice to me that Howard Shore was nominated for his frankly uninteresting main title theme for that show Mm -hmm. that really didn't do anything that didn't really provide much of particular purpose or meaning. And yet McCreary was snubbed for his series score, which was so layered and detailed and frankly seemed like the one part of that show um, that really lived up to what we sort of expect from that franchise in terms of its layered kind of dynamics. And so that was something where it's not that shocking. McCreary was never nominated for Battlestar Galactica for his series score. Um, he often has been sort of snubbed for his more complex work. But that was one indication where I sort of felt like that was an unfortunate realization uh, when I went through that category. Um, and that really stood out to me. Totally fair. I'm going to throw out a couple more for you, Miles. Uh, first of all, welcome to Chick- Chippendales, uh, a show I, I wasn't uh, a huge fan of. I appreciate what I was trying to do, but it wasn't really my cup of tea, uh, but received multiple major nominations, including for Camille Nanjiani as lead actor, um, Outstanding Sporting Actress uh, for Annalia Ashford. Um, and so it was like, oh, that's a show that like I didn't know was even potentially going to get any love, and uh, and it did. So, uh, you know, shout out to... Uh, shout out to Welcome to Chippendales. I do want to say it is odd to me that House of the Dragon was nominated for Outstanding Drama Series and received virtually no other nominations in any other major categories, right? Um, no. Which is and a huge... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually shocking to me, uh, honestly. So it's so interesting to me because like going in, it was a reasonable question because the whole point was HBO was trying to get to this historic four series nominations in drama series, which hasn't happened since like the three network days of NBC and CBS. Like it's very much not something we see in this context. Um, and so obviously it's historic and all these meaningful things. Part of me wonders if like they were particularly pushing voting to try to get it over that hump, knowing that it was going to be the fourth. It's definitely mm-hmm. one of the bottom nominees. Just so they could set a record. Category of some kind yeah yeah but i also think we have to acknowledge this right and like sort of like address this in kind which is that ultimately the fact that the actors were split across different roles did perhaps complicate their ability to compete in these categories Mm. um i will say that it was thought it was interesting that patty considine um did choose to like go into lead actor instead of supporting And like, again, I think it's a very tough ask to kind of like compete with those heavyweights when you're not really as prominent in the full season. Um, And I think Matt Smith is clearly a supporting actor, but submitted his lead because he is actually in the whole season, unlike so many of the others. I think it's just a complicated structure. I don't think it really, for all the ways in which Game of Thrones dominated at the Emmys, it actually had a really hard time winning acting awards. Mm -hmm. It actually notably, and this is like, it never won the SAG award for best ensemble in a drama series, which seems insane to think that an ensemble of that quality and that scale never managed to win that award. But it just seems like actors weren't connecting with it for one reason or another. And so I guess I'm not deeply shocked to see that, but again, you'll go back to the whole Mandalorian situation, House of the Dragon very much big in technical categories, which is a big part of how Game of Thrones won some of its later Emmys 
for seasons that were more divisive, that weren't maybe getting as much kind of universal adulation, but it still kind of carried the day because it felt like large swaths of the Academy were only kind of watching big budget HBO fare and were kind of acknowledging it accordingly. So I guess I'm not deeply shocked by it, but you're right. It looks wrong on the surface, right? If you start going down the list to discover it's like, it's one of the best drama series and yet it got no additional attention, no single actor was acknowledged, et cetera. Uh, and I think Patty Constantine legitimately did an amazing job in that show. Like he, it, it is now. Here's yeah. the thing, though. Here's the thing, the Miles. I look at the rest of the acting category. You know, the lead actor in drama series. Uh, those are Jeff Bridges for The Old Man, Brian Cox for Succession, Kieran Culkin for Succession, Bob Odenkirk for The Last of Us, Pedro Pascal for The Last of Us, and Jeremy Strong for Succession. Pretty strong group, you know. Like Brian Cox, yep. I, I could see also Jeff Bridges for The Old Man. I didn't love that show very much, you know, but like. I, I, there's no, there's very few people from that group that I would actually remove from that category, right? So, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. So, yeah. Um, all right, Miles. Any other weird things to point out? Uh, any other shocks from? Uh... So this is less a shock. I'm going to go back to the music categories for a second. Um, just a couple of things happening there that are a bit strange. Um, one of them is that uh, Daisy Jones and the Six, which is a song built around original music, yeah, written a series, for a series show. built around, yeah, a series. Uh, which earned no nominations for best original music and lyrics. Like none of those songs. And like, yes. I'm wondering if it's a technicality with like what happened there that right. that couldn't happen. Yeah. Cause like that category is always a little weird because from there, but the other thing is the music supervision category. I don't even know if people know this exists. It's obviously one of the creative arts awards, um, but there's a category for music supervision, which is basically the overseeing of songs that go into a particular series. And I thought it was notable that the bear a show that is very heavy on its needle drops, that's very sort of purposeful of kind of crafting this kind of like indie rock friendly kind of like, you know, vibe, you know, pulling from the 80s, very kind of, you know, it's like a bunch of, you know, like millennial Gen X dads are curating a soundtrack to a TV show, um, was not nominated in that category, um, which I think I was very surprised by. Um, and I think it's sort of still unclear as a relatively new category at the Emmys as to what exactly they're acknowledging. Are they trying to acknowledge specifically the sheer volume of work that a music supervisor is doing? Are they instead more acknowledging in these circumstances the sort of the nuance of the work, the challenge of getting certain types of rights, et cetera? Um, none of the other, the other shows listed, I didn't think were bad in this regard. It's not as though one was in there. It's like, wow, that's terrible music supervision. But I think it's interesting when you see a show clearly build its brand around music and then not end up in that category. It kind of like asks that question of what is this branch within the music group actually paying attention to, right? What do they think this award is if it doesn't match up with sort of what seems like a very general perception of that. Um, so that kind of stood out to me as one like little quirk, which I, I always like to dive into the nominations kind of deep in these yeah. random categories here and there. Um, and that was one that kind of stood out to me in the midst of my journey. We will have closing thoughts momentarily before we do that, Miles, uh, you want to plug what you're working on these days. Sure. So I will say currently I get to plug everything but myself, which is very exciting for me. So Episodic Medium started as my own um, weekly television criticism uh, in a written form uh, kind of substack. Uh, but eventually I keep bringing in new contributors. And so currently in the month of July, I have eight contributors writing reviews for me, none of whom are me. Um, covering shows like you mentioned in terms of Justified. We're covering The After Party. We're covering Secret Invasion, uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, 
Um, it's just, it's, uh, Righteous Gemstones, just a lot of really great kind of ongoing coverage in the style of what, uh, many of our contributors used to do at sites like the AV Club. Um, and it's an exciting time to kind of be a paid subscriber and be a part of that. And I kind of get to sit back. I know I'm editing things, but like I get to sit back and kind of watch other people put this work in the world and get great feedback. So it's been a, it's been a fun month so far. I'm looking forward to the rest of it. You can check that out at episodicmedium.substack.com. And of course, I want to remind people that if you want to listen to the podcast version of Decoding TV, podcast.decodingtv.com, become a paid member at decodingtv.com, help support all that we do here at Decoding TV. We are currently covering Secret Invasion as well as Justified. And we'll have more exciting things coming up in This Week in Streaming, where we cover sort of, we provide overviews of shows that are coming out each week, but that we might not necessarily want to do a week by week recap for. But yeah, huge shout out to Episodic Medium. I consider it an essential resource. Uh, and of course, you can always email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of the Emmys this year. We'd be interested to hear. Miles McDuff, let's close it out. Closing thoughts on this year's Emmys. I think overall, they did pretty good, but also the Emmys continues to be dogged by its problem of nominating too few shows. What do you think? It, I mean, look, the Emmys have been a bit breaking point for decades, right? The question is, what are they rewarding? How are they working? And it's always like, what's going to be the dam? Like, when is the dam going to break? Like, when is somebody going to point out this? And it's just like, this year, something about seeing, because White Lotus and Succession, of course, used to be in separate categories. White Lotus competed in the limited series category before. Ultimately, Mike White's decision to bring back Jennifer Coolidge meant HBO had to compete against itself, creating the pileup that we currently have. The optics of that aren't good. And I think certainly this is a point where everybody but Max has to ask themselves, like, are the Emmys actually serving us? Is there space for us? Is there any hope for us to reasonably compete in these environments? And we also have to remember that broadcast networks pay for the right to broadcast these awards in which literally only Abbott Elementary has garnered any meaningful attention as a broadcast series um, in these categories, raising the question of why are they spending money to advertise for what are effectively their competitors in this environment? They're they're watching their futures end. They're 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 paying for the rights to watch their futures end, basically. And like it is fascinating then to wonder at what point do the parties involved who are not Max, who are not HBO, at what point do they step in and kind of say, "Hey, what if we limited it to two nominees per show per category?" Right. Like, what if we force the mm -hmm. issue? Right. And it's like, at the very least, make it four HBO shows instead of two. Right. <laughs> like, at the very least, like, cannot we sort of give a chance, give an opportunity to sort of create these kind of spaces? And I mean, look, we have no idea if, if Ted Lasso is continuing, but it definitely won't be back by the time next year's Emmys pop up. Succession will not be returning. Um, I expect White Lotus season three will come out next spring. So we'll have that back in the mix. But, like, it's a very reasonable question to ask that, like, okay, if, for example, Succession had not been there, would more White Lotus performers been nominated? Right? Like, were, there, like, were they the ninth and tenth in the mix? Like, how deep did this run? I have to wonder, like, does the Academy, who has access to all this data, maybe see something here that would need to be addressed for people to continue investing all this money in campaigns, all this money in pretending that they have a chance at this when it's right. increasingly clear that there's just not the space for them. Um, I would like this to be a breaking point. I would like this to be a point where we can sort of have that conversation. But it's weird to be making this argument when like the shows that dominated were very good. 
Yeah. Right. Like it feels weird to kind of be like, oh, this is such a damning statement for the state of the Emmys when you're looking at it and thinking, OK, but those shows are good. Yeah. Right. Like Le- it's legendarily, not legendarily right. all time yeah. are good. You know, in like, some cases, it, it's, it's, it feels weird to be forcing that conversation, which I think will kind of buy them maybe a little bit more time. But like the jig is up. Like if this had just, you know, if Ted Lasso was purely dominating the comedy categories, the bear and Abbott Elementary weren't kind of like competing with it. Um, and if Ted Lasso wins everything, I think we need to have a very serious conversation. Um, but I expect we'll see some uh, give and take in the comedy side that we will not see in the drama side, where I expect we'll just kind of see a pretty clear run down the line. Miles McDonough, it's been a pleasure. Maybe we'll do this again uh, when the Emmy Award ceremony actually airs, if it airs. Um, but thanks so much for the chat, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.